Um, we are about halfway through a message series on how God brings hope to our relationships. And this morning, I want to take a brief look at one of the most important aspects about relationships, a question that many of you have already answered, and uh, so this morning might be more of just a learning time or maybe learning something that you could pass on to your children or to friends or family members who might be in the situation. It's the question of how do you find the love of your life? How do you choose the right person to be your life partner if God leads you to be married? Because choosing well at the beginning can save you a lot of pain later on. So how do you make the right choice? In life, we make a lot of important decisions. The most important one is what do we do with Jesus Christ? Do we give our lives to him, surrender our hearts to him as Lord and Savior? That's the most important decision anyone else can make. But right up there the, near the top is also the decision, will I ever get married? I mean, that is a choice. Not everyone is called to be married. Singleness is not second class in God's kingdom. And not everybody is called into marriage. So that is a choice. And then third, well, if I am called to be married, who's it going to be? Uh, the Bible actually has a lot to say to us about this as well. For example, in Proverbs 12, 26, it says, The righteous choose their friends carefully, but the way of the wicked leads them astray. If you're supposed to choose your friends carefully, well, you should be even more careful about who's going to be your life partner. And notice it is a choice. God doesn't do it for us. He doesn't just kind of make the person magically appear. The righteous choose, Scripture says. It's a choice. The problem is, how do you learn how to do that? How do you learn how to make a good choice? Is there a class that you can take somewhere? Or maybe your parents, maybe their relationship wasn't so good. Do you, did they teach you how to pick a good mate? Our culture is completely screwed up on this. People who think that TV shows like The Bachelor are a way to create healthy relationships, I mean, that's simply delusional, right? I mean, people who think you can run through one relationship after another, hookups, Tinder dates, and then somehow find Mr. and Mrs. Wright, they're really delusional and actually cripple themselves from ever being able to form a permanent love. Permanent love, which is what I think most people are really looking for when they do get married, a, a satisfying, permanent love. And as a result, many people end up in a wrong marriage for the wrong reasons, and I just don't want to see that happen to any more people. Now, Donna and I have been married 42 years. Obviously, she was a child bride. So I think I can speak with some authority on how to pick the right person. Not that our marriage has been perfect. We've definitely had our ups and downs in times when we needed professional counseling, both individually and as a couple, you know, to kind of keep us on the right track. So don't be afraid of that for your marriage. Most people wait too long before getting professional help that they need. And then oftentimes it's too late to repair the damage that's been done. But we chose well at the beginning and laid a strong foundation like that song just talked about, a strong foundation that's been able to create a permanent love that honors the Lord. So I want to give a few tips today. I guess uh, just so you can pass along, take them for what it's worth, but I also think they're from the truth of Scripture as well. First, let me dispel a couple of myths about marriage. The first one is that God is going to choose your mate for you. Uh, that's just wrong. It is not God's decision. It is your decision. It's your choice, and God is not going to just magically choose somebody for you. The responsibility for that is on our shoulders. You know, he's not going to put up a sign in the sky that says, Mary, Harry, or something like that. It's not going to happen. If you're looking for a heavenly omen, 
uh, you're going to wait a very long time. Some people say, I'm not going to date, I'm just going to wait. You know, God will magically make this right person pop into my life. And there's a word for that kind of a person, bachelor, okay? That's nonsense to say I'm not even going to look and then expect the right person just to suddenly appear. You may remember years ago, a guy wrote a book called I Kissed Dating Goodbye, which is about just waiting until God reveals this right person to marry. It was a very popular book for a while. Well, recently the author wrote that he changed his mind. I think it's because he's still single, you know. And he kind of, sort of, maybe apologized to all the people who bought his book and took it seriously. It brought them a lot of heartache. Now, he's not offering to refund any of the money that he made off the book, but he realized that though his intent was good to place a high value on marriage relationships, the way he went about it and the magical thinking that he sort of promoted, that God would just send you the right person out of the blue, he realized that that was not very healthy. We do have to be willing to engage with people in order to find that right person. And God will guide, but when God guides you, it's easier to steer a car that's moving than a car that's parked. You know, it's, got, it's hard for God to steer a parked car. It's got to be moving. And so uh, you can go this way or that way, but it should be moving. So if you stay at home, sit in your basement, and hope that somebody will appear, probably nothing's going to happen. We need to clear that one up. It's your choice, and you need to be actively involved with it. The second myth is that there's only one right person for you. And that's very romantic, but it's just not true. That there's only one person in the entire universe that you could possibly be compatible with as a spouse. It's not just not true, it's, it's not biblical. It's not even logical, because if there was only one right person for everybody in the world, all it takes is one person to make a wrong decision to break the chain for everybody else. I mean, if John is supposed to marry Betty, uh, or marries Betty when he was supposed to marry Susie, and then Susie's going to marry, you know, Bill or something like that, all of a sudden you see this chain reaction taking place that's going to ruin it for everybody. One wrong choice would upset the apple cart for the whole human race. It's romantic, but it's a myth. In your life, there will be multiple people where God would say, that's okay. That's a pretty good match. I think that's a good match. There would be millions where he'd say, no way, no way, don't do that. But there would be multiple people that you would be compatible with as a spouse. God would say, it's your choice, and I approve of that preference. The third myth is that love alone is enough reason to marry. As pastors, we often talk with people who want to get married, and we require premarital counseling for anyone that we're going to marry because, quite frankly, we are not interested all that much in the wedding ceremony. We're interested in the marriage. That's the important thing. Not the ceremony, not the color of the napkins at the reception. None of that actually matters at all. And sometimes we have to say to folks, there's no way. This is just really, this is not, by our best estimate, this is not, and they, but, but, but we love each other. We love each other. They just don't have the right compatibility to really come together. But they say, we love each other. You know, given the right situation, you could probably be fall in love with just about anybody. Love is a choice, and in certain circumstances, you could become romantically inclined and be very attracted to someone. But just because you have strong feelings for someone does not mean you should marry them. Love is not enough. It's not enough to make a marriage. Let me mention three of these things that really you need to be aware of if you're, if you're thinking about getting married. 
If you want God's blessing on your marriage, which I hope you do, and if you want God's protection over your marriage, which I hope you do, then we better listen to what God has to say about the kind of person that you should marry. Because the evidence of not following what God has to say in all this is all around us. As I said, given the right situation, you could fall in love with just about anyone. But that does not mean you should marry him. Scripture does give us kind of a list of must-haves in your mate's life, your boyfriend or girlfriend, in order to marry them. And unless these are right, you're not ready to marry them and they are not ready to marry you. They may not ever be the right person for you to marry. But what I'm going to give you is what I think is the bare minimum. Now, you can add to your own list whatever you want to do, but this is what I would think is the bare minimum for a marriage that God blesses. If they don't these, meet these qualifications, in my mind, deal breaker, okay? I don't care how much you love them, how much money they have, how nice they are, how cute they are, how they make you laugh. If these things don't match up, deal breaker. And the first thing we have to have with a wife or husband is spiritual unity. That's the first qualification, spiritual unit. It means that we believe the basic same things about God. We can have a relationship with God together as a couple. If you aren't spiritually united with your spouse, you're never really going to enjoy the kind of intimacy that God really designs for marriage. You just can't do it. You cannot have the kind of unity that God wants you to have if you're not unified around that number one area of your life, which should be your relationship with Christ. Your relationship with Christ should be the biggest, most important part of your life. And if you can't share that, that biggest, most important thing in your life, if you can't share that with your spouse, you're just going to be living on different wavelengths all the time, different worldviews. You may have all kinds of other things in common, but the marriage is going to be less than what it could be. Your marriage will never be as deep as it could be, and you won't experience the kind of oneness that God wants us to have unless you're united by his Holy Spirit. Doesn't mean the person has to be Presbyterian or Protestant at all, but definitely someone who is alive to Christ in their heart. There needs to be a common spiritual foundation for the marriage to really experience God's blessing. So if you want God's blessing, you've got to keep him at the center of the relationship. You've got to realize God is the glue in the marriage relationship. Most people don't have any idea how important it is to have God at the center of your marriage because it takes more than just a man and a woman to stay married. Marriage was God's idea. God thought it up. He thought up sex. He thought up intimacy. He thought up family. He designed it, and he designed marriage to be this three-legged stool of the husband, the wife, and God himself. You take out the third leg, and the whole thing will just start to fall over. You know, it just doesn't have the stability. You have to have God in the relationship or it's always going to be a little unstable. 2 Corinthians 6.14 says, Stop forming inappropriate relationships with unbelievers. Can right and wrong be partners? Can light have anything in common with darkness? Can a believer share life with an unbeliever? In other words, if you don't have spiritual unity, how in the world will you become unified in the other areas of life? Now, as a pastor, I do not like to disappoint people. I don't like to hurt people's feelings. I I want them to like me, you know? I want people to be happy. And honestly, I can't tell you how many times a young couple has come to me or someone has introduced me to their fiance. They want me to be happy about their choice and they start telling me all the person's fine qualities. And they do have lots of great qualities, a lot of great things that they have. Um, But eventually they get around to talk about, well, there's just one problem. He or she's not a believer. He's not a believer. 
That's the only problem. And every bone in my body says, hey, no big deal. Go ahead, be happy, right? But in my experience in ministry over the decades that I, you know, I've seen hundreds of couples divorce. And I'm blunt. I've reached a point where I just have to be blunt and say you're making the biggest mistake of your life. And I want to love you enough to tell you that you're making a big mistake. If you don't have spiritual unity, you're never going to experience the kind of oneness that God intended. You're never going to have unity in communication because the biggest area of your life, your partner rejects. So I don't care how much else you have in common, your relationship is going to be less. If you have a committed your life to Christ, how could you possibly then commit your life to somebody who rejects your Christ? There's no way you should do that. And often people think, I'll win them over after we're married. I'll win them to Christ. At oh, it's a missionary marriage. That's what it is. <laughs> that he'll change, he or she will change after the wedding. And I think a lot of young women feel this way. They, they plan their wedding kind of the standard formula. You walk down the aisle, you stand at the altar, people sing a hymn. It's aisle, altar, hymn. And people think, well, that's what they'll do. I'll alter him after he's married, you know? But it doesn't work that way. I apologize. That's kind of an old joke. <laughs> but if you want God's best, I'm telling you right up front, don't even consider somebody who doesn't have at least a basic faith in Jesus Christ. Let me give you the cold, hard facts. One out of every two and a half marriages in America ends in divorce. Those are not very good odds. One out of every two and a half marriages ends in divorce. But according to published research, when a couple is spiritually united, what I'm talking about, they're both believers and they both practice their faith together. And they do three things, the research says. They attend church, they pray together, and they read the scriptures during the week. If they do those three things, the divorce rate drops from one out of every two and a half marriages to one out of every 1,105 marriages. Which odds would you prefer? Are you willing to gamble on such an important decision? If you marry without spiritual unity, the odds are you're going to be divorced within 10 years. And if you live together before you're married, studies show you actually double the rate of divorce because living together does not provide greater unity as is the myth of our culture. People live in the shallow end of the pool because they're not sharing the most important part of your life. And odds are, in order to keep the marriage going, the Christian has to dial down their faith. They have to turn it down, turn down the volume. Otherwise, there's just too much conflict in the relationship. So this is a starting point, spiritual unity. The second non-negotiable in choosing a life partner is to have life purpose compatibility. In other words, you're headed in the same direction for the same reason, for the same purpose in life. Amos chapter 3, verse 3 says, can two people walk together without agreeing on a direction? Well, of course not. If you want to go this way and I want to go this way, there's no way we can both walk together. If two people can't walk together with the same purpose, how are they going to live together in marriage in intimacy? It's not going to happen. The marriage is going to be pulled apart. The marriage won't last. If you have a purpose for your life that goes that way and I have a purpose this way, it's not going to last. It's going to end up with a lot of conflict. The number one thing I see in the marriage counseling that I do is that couples are simply not on the same team. They are not on the same team. They live together. They have children together but they are not on the same team. They don't share a common purpose for why they're together as a couple. And so it becomes a power struggle. It's an emotional wrestling match. 
Instead of pulling together in the same direction, they're always at odds with each other over everything. You see, the purpose of marriage is to make you more effective in fulfilling the purpose that God has given for your life. If your marriage keeps you from fulfilling your purpose, then you've missed the point of the marriage, to be partners together in God's calling. Picture in your mind, you know, your life's purpose as a circle, and picture in your mind your, your potential spouse's uh, life purpose. You know, how much do they overlap? Is it possible that they could overlap and maybe even become one? Because when you have oneness of purpose in a marriage relationship, it's incredible. And I was fortunate enough to marry a woman like that who had the same life purpose as I did. It has made us a powerful team over the years, given us so many opportunities that either one of us could never have imagined. When I fell in love with Donna as a sophomore in college, you know, I didn't know what God was going to do with my life. We didn't even know what our giftings were at that point. But we did know one thing, that we had the same sense of life purpose. And that, as a result, has given us impact. Because if you have different purposes, you can't have impact as a couple. And not only that, you're going to have just less joy, more conflict. But when your purposes align, it releases enormous power into the relationship to help you overcome all the conflicts and the stresses and the strains. You know, you, you actually can feel the blessing of God on your life. And there's nothing in the world better than that feeling, to know that there's somebody by your side who might be the exact opposite of you in many, many ways. And like Don and I, we don't understand each other a lot of the times. But we do know that what God has done is he called us to do life together and we will work it out because we share a common purpose. There's enormous power in a relationship when a husband and wife have life-compatible purpose. So unity, compatible purpose, and the third is just emotional health. Now, I'm not going to say be emotionally perfect, because if you wait for a perfect person, you're going to wait a really long time. We look around this room, we all know that we're broken. You're broken, I'm broken. <clears throat> and that's okay, because that's why God loves us. But anybody we marry is going to be broken too. You're going to marry a sinner, and he or she is going to marry a sinner. Two imperfect people, so a relationship is not going to be perfect. There are going to be conflicts and stresses and strains. So put the idea of a perfect relationship out of your mind. I'm, uh, I married a sinner. Donna married a bigger sinner, okay? So you're going to be in the same boat. The Bible says we've all sinned. Nobody's perfect. But some people are a lot more broken than others. And there are people that you simply need to avoid, no matter how good looking, how much money, or how well they treat you. You need to avoid them and not pursue a relationship. And you have to figure out the emotional health of a person before you go too far into a relationship. Well, why am I saying this? Because, you know, this is kind of just well-known, but just all the studies show that it's emotional dysfunction, that it's the root of most divorces that we have, 80% of them. People are just emotionally immature and not ready to be married. Three of the most obvious red flags to look for. One, uncontrolled anger. Two, addictions. Three, if they're chronic liars. Uncontrolled anger, there is such an epidemic of this these days. If you've got to walk on eggshells around the person, if they're going to unload on you all the time, if they're going to use language on you, you need to get out of that relationship ASAP because you are not going to fix that person. Addiction, same thing. I spoke about that last week. You are not going to fix an addicted person by getting married. 
You're just gonna, if you marry a person that you know has an addiction, you're just tying an anchor around your ankles and jumping into their emotional ocean and you will just sink in the middle of their addiction. Don't marry them. And third, a habitual liar. Love has to be based on trust and trust has to be based on truth. If you don't tell me the truth, I can't trust you. And if I can't trust you, how can I possibly love you? An emotionally healthy person can tell the truth. If someone is a chronic liar, if they're always spinning stories, if they're always making excuses, if it's always things are shifting and you can never quite figure out exactly, get out of that relationship as soon as you can. Just walk away because a bad marriage is a thousand times worse than staying single for the rest of your life. So do not settle for that. What if you're already married? Let's say that you didn't know God's advice about this or maybe your faith in Christ came active after you were already married. What are you supposed to be, do if you're in a marriage with somebody who's not a believer? Well, you made a covenant promise before God to be united to that person, so you need to really bloom where you're planted now. Start with where you are and with God's help, do the very, very best you can in your marriage. Do not seek a divorce. Paul gives that advice in 1 Corinthians 7 in mixed marriages. Don't act in such a way that would encourage or promote of divorce. Don't start thinking, you know, God has my real soulmate out there. You know, I married the wrong person and if I ever got, I could find my soulmate if I dumped this person, you know. That's really a kind of blasphemy, I think. And with that kind of thinking, people actually believe God endorses their adultery. I've had people tell me that kind of stupidity, you know? No, you do the very best with the choices that you've made. Do the very best in the situation you've created. And you honor Christ in that marriage. And you make that the best marriage it can possibly be. But starting right is so important. Getting marriage off on the right foot by getting your dating life off on the right foot is, is good too. So ask these questions before you go very far in any relationship. Do we have spiritual unity? Do we have life purpose compatibility? Are they emotionally healthy? And am I emotionally healthy while I'm with them? Remember, a Christian marriage is a three-legged stool, and Jesus wants to be the part of every Christian relationship. He wants to help you knit together into the kind of intimacy that he desires for marriage, and he will walk with you through it. Let's pray together. Lord, we need a strong foundation, whether we're married or we're single or whether we're pursuing marriage or we're divorced or widowed, whatever situation we might be in, Lord, we need that same foundation. But we do pray particularly for people who are single and are possibly pursuing a desire in their hearts to be married, Lord. I do pray that you would bring good people into their lives and that they would make good choices in their dating life and that you would help us as a congregation to build and establish strong marriages that bring glory to you and fulfillment to our hearts. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.